All right, the book of Ephesians, chapter number two this morning, the book of Ephesians, <clears throat> chapter number two, and if you're able to, if you stand when you find your place in the Word of God, Ephesians chapter number two. Uh, I want to just say thank you real quick publicly to everybody, again, who helped out and prayed for and supported uh, the chili soup supper last night. Uh, you say, Brother Andrew, who won? Find out tonight. I will say this. I told the teenagers in Sunday school it was a lot closer than I thought, and as a matter of fact, uh, Ms. Chris and I had to count, I think, uh, a couple of jars multiple times just to make sure we had the right count. Uh, it was very tight competition. So one of the kids asked, well, did you win? I didn't. I didn't. I'm a little upset about it, but I'm going to get over it. <laughs> I didn't even make the top five. Let's just say that. And my chili was really good, right, Brother Brett? Anyway, <clears throat> so, <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, looking forward to the report we'll be able to give tonight. Uh, we'll give you the total that was donated. The amount uh, that we got donated last night was the most that's ever come in. And that is a huge blessing uh, to our young people. It's a huge blessing to our church and testimony to our church's heart and in the desire to invest in our young people. And uh, I've been in many churches, I'm sure pastors have been in many churches too, where the people don't invest in the young people. And when the church doesn't invest in the young people, it's pretty soon there's no young people. And so when you think about the investment you put in our young people, not just our, our teenagers that are sitting here, but even in our junior church department, the kids that are in, uh, in the primary church even right now, the 20-plus kids that are back there with their swopes, that's an investment we get to be a part of. And God blesses that and God honors that. And so just thank you so much for last night. And again, tonight we'll give out the trophies and give a kind of an update of what, uh, what all took place. All right, Ephesians chapter number 2. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. It's a very familiar text uh, this morning. Uh, Ephesians chapter number 2. The Bible says in verse number 1, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of the flesh, and the fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Verse number four, But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace, in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. I want you to notice verse number 8, verse number 5. Verse number 5, the Bible says, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, notice this, ye are saved. And then in verse number 8, the Bible says, For by grace are ye saved. Father, we thank you for this morning, and again, the privilege, the opportunity to be back in your house. Lord, I, I feel so inadequate and so unprepared this morning. Lord, you know the weight of this message as it's even hanging right now on my heart, Lord, the desire. and God, we need you to meet with us. This is not Brother Andrew's words. These are your words this morning. 
So I pray that you'd use me as a vessel, Lord, the Holy Spirit of God would just move and work in our hearts. As we look at this passage of Scripture, Lord, when we get down to it and dissect it and look at all that you've done for us with this thought this morning, are we really saved? And understanding what that word means, many religions, many denominations, many preachers, many teachers, many theologians, many philosophers have their definition of saved, but we're not into those. We're into what you have to say, salvation and being saved truly is. Lord, speak to our hearts today and this morning as only as you can. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Have you noticed uh, how the world, especially lately in today's society, and and not so much the world even, but you can get more specific, even in the media, how the world or the media has changed or softened, if you would, the description of what sin is. Uh, God's Word is very specific in that sin is sin. But we live in a society, Brother John, that would like to take a description of sin and change it to meet their narrative. Can I say that? That is not Bible. Never has been Bible, never will be Bible. The fact of the matter this morning is this, is that in the, when it comes to God, and specifically when it comes to sin, there's no quote-unquote undefined definitions of sin. If God says it's sin, it's sin. You cannot take sin and re-tag it or redefine it to make it good. Sin is sin. So what do you mean, Brother Andrew? Listen, God, the Bible tells us that God does not change, that God will not change, and that God has not changed. So in understanding that this morning, if God says in the Word of God that it's sin, it's still sin in 2022. Give you an example. Lying, still sin. Stealing, still sin. Murder, still sin. Adultery, still sin. Homosexuality, still sin. Still sin. Ungodliness, still sin. Worldliness or love for this present world, still sin. Listen, just because society or the media or education or, or I'm not trying to be mean when I say this, but even a family member says, oh, that's not sin, it is still sin. We don't have the option to define sin. We don't have the authority to define sin. God's Word, God Himself, defines what sin is and what sin isn't. Can I say this? I'd much rather take His definition of what sin is. And I'd much rather focus on what God has to say about sin. What matters most this morning is what God says. And if God says that sin is sin, sin is sin. Sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what breaks the fellowship and the union that we have with God. Sin is what caused the the broken fellowship in the Garden of Eden. Listen, God didn't hate Adam. God didn't hate Eve. No, no. God loved Adam. God loved Eve. God hated the sin that was in their life when they chose to sin against a holy and a righteous God. And so because of the sin of Adam and Eve, because of the sin in the garden, the fellowship that they had with God was broken. It was ripped apart. It wasn't like it was supposed to be. It wasn't like what God desired for it to be. Why? Because sin is sin. And if sin was sin in Adam and Eve's lifetime, guess what? Skylar, sin is sin in your lifetime as well. We don't have the option to define sin. We don't have the authority to define sin. Listen, because of sin this morning, I cannot have fellowship with God when there's sin in my life. Let me say it again. Because of sin in my life, I cannot have fellowship with God. So what do you mean by that, Brother Andrew? If I live in a sinful state, if I live with sin in my life, why would I come to church and think that God's going to speak to my heart? Why would I expect God to answer my prayer? Why would I expect God to walk hand in hand with me? No, He's not. Because of what? Because of sin. 
And so often we find ourselves living life day to day and from week to week and year to year, living a sinful life. And we wonder why we feel like God's a million miles away. Could it be this morning that we're living a life of sin? That we're not willing to acknowledge the sin that's in our life? That we're not willing to recognize the sin that we constantly go back to? Like a dog goeth to his vomit? Are we, are, we, are we so enamored with the fact that maybe we're a good person that we don't recognize that there is sin in our life? You say, man, Brother Andrew, this is pretty tough right off the bat. This is just the introduction. I got a really long introduction and a really short message, amen? But the fact of the matter is we're all sinners. There's sin in our life. And we, we, listen, we, we, have, we have manipulated ourselves into thinking that just because we're a good person, or maybe just because we sit in church on a Sunday morning, or just because we have a suit on, or hey, I'll use myself as an example, just because I'm on church staff that sin doesn't have an effect on me. But can I say this? Sin affects us all. It all affects us. And we can see that in our text this morning. Listen, sin causes our fellowship not to be right with God. Sin causes our relationships, even, even amongst other human beings, not to be right. Husbands and wives, we know this. We know that when sin creeps in, listen, we know when sin creeps in between a marriage relationship, it causes the marriage relationship to be a little rocky. Well, no, 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 no. We're automatically thinking, man, yeah, adultery. No, no. Listen, we can, we can get angry and be sinful. We can get angry and be sinful. We can get honorary. We can get, we can get so built up in pride that it causes problems within our own marriage. That's sin, pride, sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9, Paul would, would write this to the church of Corinth. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous, or sinners, if you would, shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Paul says, listen, the unrighteous, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. He said, Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, you and I cannot live a life of sin and expect God to bless us. No, no, we're, 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 we're so confused and we're confused to think this morning that, hey, I can live my life any way I want and God's going to bless. It doesn't work that way. Listen, we, we, cannot, we cannot ride both sides of the fence, if you would. And we, we cannot live a little bit in the world and a little bit like God and expect God to bless. It doesn't work that way. And in our text this morning, as Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he kind of outlines that. But I'm thankful that as Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and he, and he calls them out, he says this in verse number 11. He didn't just stop at verse 10. He says this in verse number 11. He says, and such were some of you. Here's what he's saying. Hey, church at Corinth, this is who you were. You were drunkards. You were extortioners. You were revelers. Man, you were sinful. You were thieves. You were covetous. That's what you were, but not anymore. He says, but you were washed. You are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Listen, June 10th, 1991, at West Charleston Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, as a seven-year-old boy, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and I got saved. Listen, there are some good things that happen, can happen in Las Vegas, amen? Not a whole lot, but there are a few things. And I can remember being at West Charleston Baptist Church. I remember being in vacation Bible school that Tuesday morning. And our theme that year was the armor of God. And I, listen, I can remember the point in my life as a young man, as a seven-year-old, that God said, listen, Andrew, you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And I loved you enough to send my son to be your Savior. But you've got to confess your sin and put your faith and trust in my son. The, the blood that was shed for you. Listen, when I got saved, I wasn't an idolater. I was seven years old. Listen, I wasn't an adulterer. I was seven years old. Man, girls had cooties back then, right? I mean, that was, that was what my dad said. I mean, I just believed my dad. He was like the man. Girls had cooties. Listen, I, I wasn't a murderer. I, had done, I wasn't a drunkard. 
I wasn't doing any of those things. But guess what? I was still a sinner. I was still a sinner in need of a Savior, even at seven years old. I needed to get saved, so that's exactly what I did. In our text this morning, the Bible uses these word, this word saved multiple times. We kind of made a reference to it there in verse number 5 and verse number 8. In verse number 5, the latter part there, says, By grace ye are saved. And then in verse number 8, the Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. Throughout the New Testament, the word saved is used to describe what happens when a person is converted or what happens when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the atonement of their sins. The word saved describes someone who has been washed and who's been sanctified, like Paul would describe to the church at Corinth. And specifically in our text this morning, the word saved, both instances in verse number 5 and verse number 8, mean this, to means to deliver, to heal, to preserve, to be or make whole. You see, those who are saved are what we're going to call born-again Christians. They've been delivered, they've been healed, they've been preserved, they've been made whole as a result of salvation. In Romans chapter 10, verse number 13, the Bible tells us this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can't be saved without having a personal Savior who saves you. No, no, you can't be saved without having a personal Savior who can save you. Listen, we can cut through all the I hope so's and I think so's and get right down to the question this morning. And here's the question and really the title of the message. Are you really saved? Are you really saved? Now you got me thinking, Brother Andrew. Am I really saved? Oh, it's a question all of us have to ask ourselves. No, you notice how I said all of us. All of us. Not just these young people sitting on the front row right here. No, not, not, just, not, just, not just the visitors. Even the church members. Even the deacons and the staff. All of us have to ask ourselves, am I really saved? Now you really got me thinking, Brother Andrew. Oh, it's a, it's a, powerful, it's a powerful question if you really think about it. Am I really saved? I wish, I thought this would be pretty cool if we could figure this out. I wish there was a way we, there was an indicator of our spiritual condition. The reference I was thinking about, everybody know a stoplight? Red light means what? Stop. Yellow light means? Go. <laughs> or, or if you're right, when Emily's riding, I'm trying to teach Emily how to drive. She turned 16 in September. I'm probably not the best influence, because when I see a yellow light, Brother Philip, it's like, gun it, go, just go. Right? Green light means go. But could you imagine if we were all walking around in the auditorium this morning, as Pastor just, just a few minutes ago had us shake hands, and you're walking by somebody and you see either a red light, a green light, or a yellow light on their forehead. You just walk on by, walk by Jason right here, and he's either got a red light lit up, or a yellow light, or a green light. So that's, kind of, that's kind of goofy, Brother Andrew. What if we had a way to measure spirituality within somebody's life? A red light being somebody who's lost who's on their way to hell. A green light being somebody who's saved, who knows for sure Jesus Christ is their personal Lord and Savior. They have a home in heaven. What about maybe a yellow light? Caution, this person's rebelling. This person's falling away. Truth is, this morning, none of us know each other's spiritual condition. I, my, be, my best friend is sitting right there, my wife. My best friend. My best friend. And we've, we've known each other since 2001. And been married since 2004. But I'll be honest with you, I don't know her heart. I can't look inside her heart and know exactly, listen, know exactly where she's at spiritually. The only person who knows that is her and God. 
Listen, you can't look at my heart and know exactly where I'm at spiritually. You can't look in pastor's heart and know exactly where he's at spiritually. Only you, the individual, knows your heart and what's going on inside of it. And so it begs us to ask the question then, am I, are I really saved? No, that's not good English, but there you go. Am I really saved? Am I really saved? So we ask ourselves this question, am I really saved? We need to highlight some things real quick before we move on in our text. I didn't ask this morning about your family tree. There's been times I've knocked doors in St. Joseph and Colorado Springs and Oklahoma City and Knob Nostra, Missouri, when I was there as a, as a high schooler going to church there, where I've knocked doors and people and invited them to church. And they've made a statement like this, well, my grandparents are members of a certain church, or my grandparents are members of a certain denomination. It's not what I'm asking this morning. I'm not asking about your family tree. I'm not asking about your race. I'm not asking about your nationality or your education or about your financial status. I'm asking, are you really saved? I'm not asking what your parents think. And listen, let's be honest, uh, I've got five kids. Kids can fool parents. Kids, can, kids are deceptive. They're wicked little things. Finding that out more and more. Especially them little five-year-old boys named Levi. Can just be little wicked little terrors, right? Hey, listen, parents, your kids can fool you into thinking they're saved. They can trick you into thinking that you're saved. So I'm not asking about that. I'm not, I'm not asking uh, about, about uh, maybe that you, that you got a church membership. Or Listen, there's, there's many even can give testimony this morning that have given testimony of growing up in church and being part of a Christian school. Hey, even going off to Bible college, but yet being lost. Being lost. My best friend, my wife, being one of them. I remember the Monday morning getting the girls ready for school and her coming to the realization, I'm lost. Man, been to Bible college been church her whole life, Christian school, married to me, amen, hallelujah. Man, how blessed her life really is. And it was. Until she came to that realization that she was lost, headed for hell. She had to make that decision to get saved, to put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Listen, outwardly they looked the part, outwardly they talked the part, but deep down inside there's conflict and there's uncertainty. There's conflict and uncertainty. Listen, I didn't ask what your pastor thinks about your salvation because pastor doesn't know whether or not you're saved. He can't look at your heart. God gives them discernment. God gives them, I believe, leadership and understanding. But deep down inside, your pastor cannot look at you and go, yeah, you're saved, Connor. Or no, Connor, you're not saved. He can't do that. He doesn't have the authority to do that. (laughs) And listen, and he's not going to do that because I know pastor. He would never do that. Him and I have had long conversations about that. He's not going to do it. Not going to do it. I didn't ask if you're a member of a specific church, or I didn't ask if you're a member of Riverside Baptist Church, because that doesn't make you saved. I didn't ask if you had communion, or if you were baptized, or if you'd done some religious classes. None of those things matter when it comes to whether or not you're truly, really saved. I didn't ask if you paid your bills on time, if you love your kids, if you love your wife, if you're nice to your wife, if you don't beat your wife. I didn't ask those things, because those things don't matter. When it comes to this question, are you really saved? So let's, before we go any further, let's define this, what saved is not. Saved is not this, you're going down for the last time, almost drowned, and somebody saves you. That's not what Paul's talking about in the book of Ephesians. Uh, That's not what Paul's talking about. What saved is not, is not you running out in front of a car and almost getting hit and somebody pulling you back. That's not what Paul's talking about right here. Saved is not uh, you seeing something spooky one night in the house or in the church walking around and 
and then all of a sudden you just got saved. I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm, I, I don't have that fear anymore. That's not what Paul's talking about when it comes to being saved. See, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter number 10, verse number 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Acts chapter 16, the Bible says, and brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. So what does it mean, Brother Andrew, if I'm to be saved, I'm to believe? What, what are you getting at here? In order for us to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and be saved, the Bible speaks about a belief or a reception, if you would, an acceptance of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross of Calvary. In our text this morning, we see the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. So let's go to Ephesians chapter number 2. That's all introduction. We're almost done. Just kidding. Look at our text this morning in Ephesians chapter number 2. I want you to notice the first three verses real quick. The Bible says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also ye have had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. I want to give you three quick thoughts this morning about this word saved that we find here in Ephesians chapter number two. Thought number one is this, very, very, very direct, very pointed. Thought number one is this, you need to be saved. You, you need to be saved. I need to be saved. Now I've got it settled, June 10th, 1991. I've got it settled. But maybe there's somebody here this morning, you don't have it settled. You can't give a date, a time, a specific place where you got saved. Hey, listen, you need to be saved. Notice verse number one, how the Bible describes us. There's very doom and gloom, if you would, on the individual life as Paul writes this. In verse number one, look what the Bible says. The Bible describes you and I as dead in trespasses and sins. That we're dead in trespasses and sins. I'll be honest with you, this, this wasn't written just a couple weeks ago. This was written a couple thousand years ago. And back then, I was still dead in trespasses and sins. But then notice verse number two, how Paul goes on to describe you and I as this, walking according to the, quote, course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. But it doesn't stop there. In verse number three, here's, look what Paul says. He says that times past, here's how we lived, our conversation, our lifestyle, our conduct, how we live day to day. He said, in times past was in the lust of our flesh. In the lust of our flesh. I'll be honest, if some of us were to be honest this morning, when we woke up and the alarm clock went off, our flesh said, don't get out of bed. Our flesh said, don't move. Our flesh said, just stay there. Just stay there. Just don't move. No, you don't need to go. You can live stream church. You don't need to go to church. Just text Pastor Marshall and say, I'm not feeling well. When you're really feeling well. Now listen, I know there's people that aren't well. They've, been, they've texted me this week too. But listen, let's be honest, our flesh is wicked. And our flesh deceives us into thinking that we're better than we really are. And so Paul identifies this in verse number 3. He says this, and in times past was in the lust of your flesh. Now notice what he says, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh. <clears throat> so, I got saved June 10th, 1991, 7 years old. I'm 38 years old. Turned 39 in October, October 22nd, if anybody's taking notes. It's my birthday, right? I'm going to turn 39, Brother John. Man, I've been saved for quite a few years. Getting kind of, you know, older in my, my salvation years, kind of, sort of. Not as old as some, but getting, getting there. Can I say this? 
that the flesh that, you, that I have to deal with every day is just as wicked as I was when I was seven years old, if not more wicked. And there's a constant battle, a constant desire to fulfill the desires of the flesh. But then he says this in verse number three as well, not just the desires of the flesh, but he says of the mind. And we're by nature the children of wrath. I mean, just by looking at verse number three, we can see how bad our situation really is. No, no. In the context of Scripture here, as, as Paul is writing this, the beginning part of chapter number two, this is, this is very doom and gloom, very negative. This is very, very bad. You say, why would he do that, Brother Andrew? To acknowledge the fact that we need to be saved? To acknowledge the fact that we need a Savior? Uh, one commentator said this. He said, the Apostle Paul set forth the greatness of divine power in man's salvation Listen, by setting forth the greatness of his sin and misery. Now listen, we don't like being told that we're wrong. We don't like being told that we're wicked. We don't like being told that we're sinners. But I'll be honest with you, the truth is, we are. We are sinners. We are wicked. We are vile. And there's parts of our life that maybe nobody else sees but God. And God knows how wicked we really are. You say, man, Brother Andrew, like, everybody here is that bad? No. But let's just be honest this morning. We're sinners. And because we're sinners, we need a Savior. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Listen, that's everybody. That's, that's not just Levi back there, as wicked as he is, but that's even me, Brother Andrew. As wicked as I am, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Listen, every parent, every child, every teenager, every young person, doesn't matter the color of your skin, doesn't matter your education level, doesn't matter how your upbringing, doesn't, those things don't matter. You need to be saved. Paul lines out in the first three verses, our lost state. In fact, I have this little kind of bullet thing in my notes here on the side of my Bible, kind of highlighted the lost man. The first three verses describe the lost man. So we have to ask ourselves this question, question this morning, am I really saved? Am I really saved? Because what Paul describes in the first three verses here, man, he describes a sinful person. He describes a person who's lost. He describes a person who has given, given their life over to their own pleasures, their own sinfulness. But I'm glad Paul gives us verse 4. Look at verse 4. Here's what Paul says. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us. No, no. I, I think sometimes we kind of look at verse 4 and we just look at the but God. But I want you to notice the latter part of verse number 4. He says, who is rich in mercy, now watch, for his great love wherewith he loved us. You ever stop sometimes and just to think about the love of God? Ever stop sometimes just to think about the love that God shows you? Have you ever stopped to think sometimes just the, the compassion and the tenderness and just the sweet, the sweet tenderness of God and the love that God gives you and I on a daily basis? No, no, we know there's a but God, but so often we forget that God loved us. So what are you getting at, Brother Andrew? God loved us in spite of ourselves. God loved us unconditionally. God loved us while we were yet dead in trespasses and sins. God loved us while we were vile, living after the desires of the flesh and after the desires of our, our own minds and after the nature, the Bible says in verse number three, the nature of the children of wrath, even as others. Listen, God loved us even in that sinful state. God still loved us. So if number one this morning, we need to be saved, I would say this, that number two is this, you can't save yourself. 
You can't do it. Verse number 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. That verse, verse 5 doesn't say by Andrew he is saved. By, by Abram he is saved. No, it says by grace. God's the one that gives the grace this morning and hath raised us up together and made us to sit in, together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. No, no. For by grace are you saved through faith. I'm not saved by Andrew. I'm not saved by a church. I'm not saved by a denomination. No, no. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, if I need salvation, I've got to recognize this too this morning. Number two is that I can't save myself. There's nothing that I can do. There's nothing that you can do to save yourself. Paul would write to the church of Galatia in Galatians chapter 2, and he'd say this, For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Listen, you and I cannot keep the whole law, all the Ten Commandments, and expect, listen, we cannot keep the whole law and expect God to go, yep, you're saved. You know why? Because we can't keep the whole law. Let me ask you this question this morning. Just kind of do a straw poll real quick. Anybody ever stolen anything before? Stick a bubble gum, pen, right? Anybody, anybody ever lied before? Miss Pam's got her hand up. They lied? Preacher, there's a bunch of wicked people in this church. Wicked people. You're <laughs> Listen, we've all stolen something. Hey, we've all, we've all lied. Hey, we're, we're a sinner, and, and yet we, we think, listen, we think that we can get ourselves to heaven. So we have a, a culture within even, uh, not just America, but around the world when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to uh, religion, if you would, to where we think if we just do enough good works, if I just do enough good works, Brother Andrew, man, God will accept me for me. And the sad thing is, is many people die every day and they stand before God in their own self-righteousness. And God says this, depart from me, I never knew you. Listen, we need to be saved, but we cannot save ourselves. God is the only one who can save us. Well, how does He save us, Brother Andrew? By Jesus Christ. Look at our text in Ephesians chapter number 2. Notice what he says in verse number 5. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with who? Christ. Listen, your salvation this morning is not based upon Brother Andrew. It's not based upon Pastor Marshall. It's not based upon Riverside Baptist Church. It's not based upon an emotion. It's not based upon a feeling. It's not based upon a denomination or a religion. Listen, your salvation this morning is based solely on one person and one person alone. Jesus Christ. God's perfect, sinless Son. Nothing more, nothing less. Well, Brother Andrew, I'm going to work my way to heaven. I've got this plan figured out. I can handle this. I, 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 can, do, I, can, I, I can do this, Brother Andrew. Look at verse number 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Brother Andrew, what, is, what does verse number 8 mean? It means you have nothing to do with it. You, have no, you don't have enough good works. You're a nice person. Brant, you're a nice person. You're a nice person. But you're not nice enough to get into heaven based upon your own merit. I hate to tell you, bro, but you're not going to make it. You're going to fail. I, I want to think I'm a nice person. Brother John, I want to think I'm a nice person. But my good works aren't going to get me into heaven. Look at the text. 
For by grace are you saved, verse 8, by faith, or sorry, are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is gift of God. Now watch verse number 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing that you and I can do this morning that we can stand before God and lay at His feet in and of our own flesh, in and of our own selves, and say, God, here you go. Here's the payment for my sin. And we've confused ourselves to think this morning that when it comes to salvation, when it comes to being saved, that it's based upon us. Listen, salvation is not based upon you. It's not based upon the person sitting to the left of you or the right of you. It's not based upon this church. It's not, listen, it's based solely upon Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Listen, there, there is only one way to be saved according to the Word of God, and that's through Jesus Christ. Okay, Brother Andrew, I need to be saved. I need to be saved. I can't do it on my own. So what are my options? I'm glad you asked. Hold your place in Ephesians and turn over to 1 Peter chapter number 3. 1 Peter chapter number 3. <clears throat> Brother Andrew, I, number one, I need, I need to be saved. I need to be saved. And number two, I, I can't save myself. Man, so what are my options? Look at 1 Peter chapter number 3, verse number 18. The Bible says this, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Last point this, uh, this morning, point number three is this. Jesus can and wants to save you. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 8, that Christ suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. The just, speaking of Christ, was willing to suffer to go to the cross to pay your sin debt for the unjust. That is you and I. In first, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul would pen these words, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, my salvation is not based upon what I can do. My salvation is based upon what Jesus Christ has already done for me. And can I say this this morning? He's already done it for you. He's already paid your sin's penalty. So why then? Why then, when asked the question, am I really saved? Would we not give the answer like this? Yes, because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what He has done to cleansing my sins. We will give an answer like this. I hope so. I'm trying really hard. I think so. I think so. In Bible college, we took a class called personal evangelism. And we had this illustration kind of going back and forth where you kind of do a little bit of role play, some improv acting. It was always really intense. You get a bunch of young 18, 19-year-old college kids together. They think they know the Bible better than everybody else. And, you know, kind of going back and forth. And I remember one guy, he played the role. He knocked the door. And, sir, I'm from such and such, Southwest Baptist Church. And I'd like to invite you to go to church. Hey, do you know for sure you're saved? And I remember the guy kind of being crude. And one of the other students was like, ah, I'm about 99% sure. And the other guy doing the role play was like, you're 100% lost, man. You know, we look at that and we laugh and we think about that, but how many people do we work with that if you were to ask them that question, they would say, yeah, I'm about 99% sure. Got me thinking even this week in, in reading and studying, how many come to service every Sunday morning, 99% sure? Because truth be told, if you're 99% sure you're saved this morning, you are 100% lost. Listen, this morning, you and I, we need to be saved. 
If we're not saved, we need to be saved. I can't do it. You can't do it in and of ourselves. There's no possible way. But I'm thankful that Jesus can, that He has, and can I say it like this? That He will. There is no sin that God cannot forgive. Well, you just don't understand. Remember we said at the beginning of the message? I don't know your heart. You don't know my heart. There's no, there's no confession box up here. There's no, there's no taking sins and measuring up to somebody else. Ground is level at the cross. We're all sinners this morning. So when asked the question, am I really saved? What would be your answer? Man had a dream one night. He dreamed he fell off the edge of a cliff. As he fell off the edge of the cliff, he reached on up and grabbed some roots and was dangling there and cried out for help. No one could hear him. In this dream, he sees an angel. The angel comes by and he cries out to the angel, Help me! Help me! Help me! I'm falling off the cliff! The angel passes by and says, Sir, can I help you? Absolutely help me! I'm getting ready to fall off. Would you do something? Do you believe I can help you? The angel said. The man said, absolutely. I, I, I called you over for help. You're right here. I believe you can help me. Here was the angel's response. Then why don't you let go? Some of us this morning are lost because we're hanging on to things that we think is what saved really means. And we just need to let go of those things and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Because look at verse number 10 and we're done. Here's what God's Word says. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You know why this may be this morning you come to church service after service after service and you get nothing out of the preaching, nothing out of the teaching, you just your Christian life, what you think is just an absolute mess? Maybe this morning... The problem is not the preacher. It's not the church. It's not your brother and sister in Christ. Maybe this morning when you ask yourself, am I really saved? You've been putting your faith and trust in everything else other than Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. But here's the thing. I can't force you to get saved. Pastor Marshall can't force you to get saved. Your mommy and daddy can't force you to get saved. Your bus worker can't force you to get saved. Your best friend can't force you to get saved. That morning, Crystal recognized she was lost on her way to hell. Brother Rick, there was nothing I could do. I mean, what do I do? I was like, get it taken care of. You know what you need to do. And that's exactly what she did. So when asked the question, are you really saved? What's your response? Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, again, the privilege and the opportunity to be in your house. Lord, I can't help but think this morning that as we ask this question, are you really saved? There may be some this morning that they're doubting. When asked that question, their response would be, yes, I'm a religious person, or I've got good works, or I'm a member of Riverside Baptist Church, or I sing in the choir, or I preach the Word of God, whatever it might be. But Lord, we know this morning that those are just works in and of our own hands. We know this morning that to be truly saved, we've got to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. That only by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, are we saved. Lord, I don't know how you spoke this morning. I don't know 
the struggles individually that the men and women, the boys and girls have in this auditorium this morning. But Lord, if there's somebody this morning that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that when asked the question, am I really saved? And they're struggling with answering that. I prayed they'd step out this morning, they'd come down and ask somebody how they can know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that heaven's their home. As we stand this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed, the piano's going to play. Listen, if you're unsure whether or not you're really saved, you're truly saved, truly born again, I'm going to encourage you to step out, come forward. There's men down here in the front, love to take the Word of God and show you how you can know for sure that you're saved. You don't have to hope so, don't have to maybe so, don't have to think so. You can know so beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're saved this morning.